I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Most of us have been told to cut back on sugar if we want to avoid cavities, but is there more to a good dental diet? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. People don't often connect the state of their mouth to problems like heart disease, diabetes, or other systemic conditions. And yet the oral microbiome can have a profound impact on overall health. Why is vitamin K2 so important for our teeth and jaws? What foods provide this essential and little appreciated nutrient? If you've been putting off a visit to the dentist during the pandemic, what should you do? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, find out about the link between your mouth and your health. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, Christmas was about three weeks ago, and now hospitals around the country are seeing the consequences of family gatherings. From small rural facilities to giant urban hospitals in Southern California or Arizona, intensive care units are full and staff are exhausted. Earlier in the pandemic, small or remote healthcare organizations would send their sickest patients to tertiary care hospitals when they couldn't handle them in-house. That's no longer an option in most places. The referral hospitals just don't have room or healthcare workers to accommodate additional patients from outside the community. In some cities, such as Los Angeles, there are big hospitals that don't have capacity for community COVID-19 cases. Although the COVID-19 vaccination program is beginning to gather momentum, infections are spreading more quickly than ever. People without symptoms help account for the rapid spread of COVID-19 infections. Analysis of mathematical models using data collected from different communities reveals that more than half of all cases were passed along by people who were infected but asymptomatic. According to the authors of this study in JAMA Network Open, effective control of spread will require reducing the risk of transmission from people with infection who do not have symptoms. That will mean rigorous application of masks, hand washing, social distancing, and strategic testing, including people who are not ill. With only about one year of experience with SARS-CoV-2 and its resulting infection, COVID-19, We don't yet know very much about long-term consequences. A new study of patients in Wuhan, the Chinese city hit earliest in the pandemic, is sobering. The research, published in The Lancet, followed up on more than 1,700 individuals discharged from hospitals between January and May of last year. All had been hospitalized with COVID-19. Approximately six months after hospital discharge, More than 60% reported fatigue or muscle weakness. About a quarter was still having trouble sleeping, and nearly that many reported anxiety or depression. Those who had been most severely ill when hospitalized were more likely to have breathing problems. 
Researchers in France have developed a novel technique for detecting thyroid tumors. The usual diagnostic approach is fine needle biopsy. However, this approach identifies a small proportion of thyroid cancers. Instead, the scientists use ultrasound imaging while the patient sings. Tumors react differently from normal tissue to the vibrations from the vocal cords. They found that a person singing E at 150 hertz for one second provided adequate data for computerized analysis and diagnosis. The American Cancer Society reported this week that there was a significant decline in cancer deaths from 2017 to 2018. The death rate dropped 2.4 percent, which beat the previous record of 2.2 percent from 2016 to 2017. Reductions in lung cancer deaths contributed substantially to the overall improvement. This is attributed to fewer smokers, improved diagnosis, and newer treatments such as immunotherapy. There is concern, however, that the pandemic has potentially delayed cancer diagnosis and interrupted effective treatment programs. As a result, COVID-19 could have long-lasting negative consequences for people with cancer. Every year, about one and a half million Americans are diagnosed with diabetes. The great majority of these people have type 2 diabetes in which the body produces insulin but doesn't respond well to it. Could a specific diet help people overcome this metabolic malfunction? A meta-analysis of 23 randomized clinical trials of low and very low carbohydrate diets found that those who follow such a diet for six months may be able to achieve remission of their disease. Data are sparse on whether people are able to maintain these benefits after a year. The authors conclude, clinicians might consider short-term low-carb diets for management of type 2 diabetes while actively monitoring and adjusting diabetes medications as needed. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Dental health has taken a backseat to a lot of other health conditions. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people are skipping routine dental checkups. But the health of the mouth may be critical for unexpected areas of the body. For example, heart disease has been linked to periodontitis. Type 2 diabetes may also be associated with changes in the microbes that live in our mouths. How does our diet affect the oral microbiome? Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Lin. He is a board-accredited dentist, TEDx speaker, and author of The Dental Diet, the surprising link between your teeth, real food, and life-changing natural health. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Stephen Lin. Thank you so much for having me, Terry. Dr. Lin, you are called the world's first dental nutritionist. Now, what the heck is a dental nutritionist, and how did you get excited about this field? Yeah, Joe, it's a funny question, but I kind of found that early in my career, and as I was working in dentistry, that there was a big disconnect between what we put in our mouth and what we find as our output in terms of what we go to the dentist for. And I really found that there's a story behind what we eat and what happens 
uh, when we go to the dentist. So our tooth decay, our gum disease, and even crooked teeth in kids. And there was a story that really we should be basing our dietary guidelines and how we think about healthy eating around dental health instead of really thinking about it the other way in terms of what food does when it goes into the body and that our dental health is really one of the most powerful indicators as of our overall health. And I think one of the biggest problems on the planet now is that our kids don't develop straight teeth. And this is an anthropological problem where historically, when we change our food, our dental health uh, changes. And that's kind of really was my ticket in. And I found that there's really a, a great story behind our teeth and that we really should be thinking about food is the answer for better dental and overall health as well. Well, Dr. Lin, I think a lot of people think about the food we eat and how it's related to our health of our teeth. They think, sure, you shouldn't eat candy all day long. Maybe they even realize that potato chips are bad for your teeth because they get stuck on those surfaces and they can cause dental decay, cavities, caries. But it sounds to me as though you're talking about something that goes way beyond cavities. How does our diet affect kids' teeth and whether they need orthodontics or not? Yeah, well, cavities is actually a part of it. And the sugar conversation is really one that's really fired up in the last few years uh, to show that, you know, that what we're putting in our kids' mouth does affect um, their dental decay risk. But there are other factors, for example, for tooth decay that we don't consider, and that's the protective factors. So the immune system inside a child's tooth, the osteoimmune system, this is run by the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, and K2. Now, we should be thinking that a child that um, has tooth decay is in nutrient deficiency. And so for a child that has crooked teeth, now we need to remember as well that a 12-year-old that has crooked teeth and needs braces is the same problem as a young adolescent or a young adult that has wisdom teeth impactions um, where the jaw doesn't grow properly. And that's the same problem again where calcium distribution in the, in the body hasn't grown the jaws adequately to fit the teeth. And this is a big problem I feel that we have on the planet that we've misunderstood this way of eating to grow our jaws and develop straight healthy dental arches. Well, there's an area that is so fascinating to me that I'd love to get your perspective on it, and that is what we now call the microbiome. Now, we've heard a lot about the microbiome of the gut. Uh, there's been a recognition for a very long time that we have bacteria and fungi and viruses in our digestive tract. And we've begun to hear that, yeah, there's a microbiome on the skin, all kinds of bacteria and other kinds of organisms living in some kind of ecological harmony. And we've even heard that there's a microbiome of the lungs and a microbiome of the brain. But very rarely do we talk about the microbiome of the mouth. And you talk a bit about how our mouth is the gatekeeper of our gut, helping this whole microbiome thing stay in proper balance. So could you give us a little more detail of what you mean by the microbiome of the mouth and the gut? Absolutely, Joe. So this is one of the biggest learning areas for myself is that 
in the last 10 years, we've figured out that we live alongside trillions of bacteria, and that includes uh, bacteria in the mouth. And it's really kind of silly, actually, that we've disconnected the mouth from the gut. If you're looking for better gut health, you absolutely should be understanding the mouth and looking to heal your dental health alongside your gut health. Now, think about it this way. Every second, you're swallowing thousands of bacteria. That's every second into your digestive system. So when you have an imbalanced oral microbiome, you're delivering that to your gut microbiome. And the way this forms is uh, very early in life, as uh, a newborn um, is born into the world, uh, their first touch with outside bacteria is from the vaginal canal during birth, uh, where the, the oral microbiome is introduced with bacteria from the mother's um, reproductive microbiome. And this actually then becomes this conversation between the oral microbiome and the gut microbiome, where they stay the same for a few months, but then they become separate and uh, related uh, species of the human microbiome. And so the oral microbiome is like a protector for the gut microbiome. And it actually has species that uh, will protect against tooth decay, gum disease. And this is really a part of the story of tooth decay that we've forgotten, is that the, there is a balance, there is an ecological system happening in the mouth, and that when we have tooth decay, it's really a sign that the system is in imbalance and we could call deficiency as well, and where we've had one species overtake in a way and then cause a disease like tooth decay. So the bug strep mutants that we attribute to tooth decay, it lives in the mouth in health, and so too do many other bugs that we really should be attributing. So having a, a balanced, ecologically sound oral microbiome is very part of this gut health conversation. Well, Dr. Lin, you know, in America, we have become, I would say, obsessed with killing germs because there's this sense that bacteria are bad and fungi and viruses. It's all bad. And we need to sterilize everything. And, you know, we have all kinds of cleansers. Uh, we use what we call Clorox. But we also have taken this to the mouth. And so we have mouthwashes. Of course, Listerine has been one of the favorites for a very long time. Kills millions of bacteria on contact. And so there's this idea that if we just swish, you know, enough of this stuff, whether it's in our toothpaste or it's in our mouthwash, that we can have good oral health. And I'm just wondering, what, what does all this stuff do to the oral microbiome? So the, question, the answer to that, Joe, and this is a great question, is that we don't know. When you look at the mechanisms and the studies behind the active ingredients in many of the supermarket shelf oral products like toothpaste and mouthwash, we don't know what they do to the majority of the microbiome. And to put it in perspective for the mouth, we don't even know half of the species, and you've brought up a great point there, is that there's more than bacteria, there's fungi, uh, there's archaea, there's all types of microbes living in the mouth that we don't even know. And so there are effects to the microbiome that we really should be thinking about. And when you put a product in your mouth that says it's antibacterial, you should really be thinking about, is this uh, the way for me to um, develop long-term 
a diverse and strong oral microbiome because that's the way we protect disease in the long term. And so there was a study last year that showed that people that use alcoholic mouthwashes increase their risk for pre-diabetes. And I think that was one of the first that really showed the oral and uh, gut connection between when we lose diversity in the mouth, that translates to the rest of the body. So I don't tell my patients to use antibacterials every day because of this perspective. We need to shift this idea that we need to kill bacteria. Well, you know, there's an interesting study that was just published recently suggesting that antibiotics change the microbiome of the mouth and kill off some of the good bacteria and microbes in the mouth that may be protecting us from cavities and other problems. Any thoughts about antibiotics? We, we never even imagined such a thing. Absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, when we go to the dentist for a dental infection, there is one of the most common ways to deal with it is to prescribe antibiotics. So there are certainly species that protect us against tooth decay and gum disease. We know this. There is research on the oral microbiome showing us this. And so when we do take an antibiotic, we really, if you do have to take one, if there is a condition where you do have to you know, treat it with antibiotics, you should be thinking about the path after the months where you're you know, reestablishing that relationship with those microbes to heal yourself. And, you know, that the biggest connection to that really is food. You're listening to Dr. Stephen Lin. He's author of The Dental Diet, The Surprising Link Between Your Teeth, Real Food, and Life-Changing Natural Health. As you can tell, Dr. Lin practices integrative dentistry in Australia. For this book, he combines insights from anthropology, physiology, and nutrition with classic dentistry. Dr. Lin calls himself a dental nutritionist. It's surprising that the field of dentistry has not paid more attention to the impact of the food we eat. After the break, why has so little attention been paid to mouth health in relationship to overall health? Researchers have identified links from gum disease to heart attacks and type 2 diabetes. Some people have dental phobia. What can be done for that? How can we start children out with the best chances for healthy teeth and gums? We'll also learn about the basics of the dental diet. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is brought to you by the Verizona Health Club. This comprehensive home testing service enables you to track crucial health markers of gut health, inflammation, metabolism, hormones, thyroid function, and many other organ systems. Regular testing can help detect health imbalances before they lead to sickness. Online at Verizona, V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com slash health dash club. Get 50% off the first month with the discount code PEOPLE50. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia Memory Plus. 
a cocoflavanol supplement backed by four clinical studies that show significant improvement in three different aspects of memory. More information at cocovia.com. Also by Verizona, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Now with an annual health club plan. Online at verisana.com slash health dash club. And by Kaya Biotics. These hypoallergenic probiotic products are made in Germany from certified organic ingredients. Online at kayabiotics.com. Today, we're talking about the relationship between our diet and our oral health. When was the last time you visited a dentist? Many people have put off visits to the dentist because of their concerns about COVID-19. But that doesn't mean you should ignore your dental health. It's more important than ever to brush and floss. And what you should do is check with the dentist's office to see what precautions they're taking to prevent infection. You'll want to be especially thoughtful about your diet. Snacking on high-carb foods and sugary treats is problematic if you're not seeing your dentist on a regular basis. What foods should you be including in your diet, and what should you ignore? Our guest is Dr. Stephen Lin. He is a board-accredited dentist, TEDx speaker, and author of The Dental Diet, The Surprising Link Between Your Teeth, Real Food, and Life-Changing Natural Health. Dr. Lin's book contains lots of recipes and meal plans to prevent many of the problems he sees in his dental practice. Dr. Lin, in the foreword to your book, The Dental Diet, Dr. Mark Hyman says that the health profession has long understood the links between gum disease and heart disease and type 2 diabetes, including the fact that diseases that originate in the mouth have consequences for the whole body. But the healthcare profession has failed to use this valuable piece of the puzzle to help shape our overall health. Do you have any idea why this might be? Yeah, Terry, I, this very topic was one that brought me into this idea that the mouth was a powerful tool that we are missing, in that a patient of mine, he came to me with a letter from his cardiologist. He was um, scheduled for quadruple bypass heart surgery. And he needed a dental clearance before he went into the hospital to get this surgery. And I looked at his mouth and he had severe periodontitis, which is gum disease. And I had to remove the last of his teeth before he went into surgery. Now, he didn't make it through the surgery process. He died a few months later. And that really made me start to think, you know, why do we leave this so late where we send the patient with a chronically inflamed mouth? Um to a, a dentist to, to try and treat the problem that has been bubbling along for years. You know, had I seen the patient earlier, we would, would have been able to work with this. And what the literature has shown is that there is a relationship between heart attacks and gum disease and type 2 diabetes and the gum disease. And that it really sits in this profile of chronic disease conditions that you know, we really um, we, we know there's a relationship, but we don't know what the mechanism was. And I think the, the mechanisms have been, for instance, we've focused too much on um, acute infection, so the connection to pericarditis. And so what we now know is there is a connection between the oral microbiome and the gut microbiome. 
there is a connection between nutrient deficiencies and gum disease and that the mouth is the first sign of these chronic inflammation processes that cause diseases over long periods. So when you have bleeding gums, you should be thinking, okay, my body's telling me that I'm a little bit out of balance and that I should be looking at my mouth as a sign of the health of the rest of the body. Well, that's a really dramatic case. I can imagine that the cardiologist and the heart surgeon were thinking, boy, we better get his teeth under control before we you know, undertake this bypass surgery. But, you know, I'm guessing this was a person who didn't go to the dentist that often or else it wouldn't have gotten so bad. I have a good friend, very smart person, uh, very highly educated, very capable on all fronts, but he has an absolute phobia about going to the dentist. Um, maybe he had a problem when he was young, but whatever it is, he delays until he absolutely has to go to the dentist. And even then, he basically goes under protest and sort of asks them, well, can you anesthetize me so that I don't experience or feel anything? I don't know if you have those kinds of cases in Australia, but I suspect that it's not that uncommon that a lot of people fear the dentist and then their mouth gets into pretty bad shape. What do you recommend for somebody like that? I absolutely see this every day, and it's amazing how we've developed this societal problem between a fear of the dentist, both of whether it's anxiety-based, you know, around the pain of uh, an experience with a dental appointment, or whether it's been, for instance, a socioeconomic disparity between where not where we can't afford to go to the dentist. There are so many barriers to improving our oral health we this is something we need to think about very much in terms of we are missing a big piece of investing into our our health future and so i would really recommend someone that has dental anxiety uh, in this form to go and have a discussion with the staff with the practitioner where there's no instruments many dental practitioners understand this we see it every day and that you are really investing into your future. And that first conversation can really be, you know, that open doorway to really improving your health long term. When we talk about starting to improve your health long term, I'm thinking about really going to the very beginning. So I'm thinking about a baby who is teething. What can parents do? to encourage good dental health in a toddler? So for toddlers, this is a crucial stage for their development. And this happens right throughout a child's life up until they're 12. But right from the beginning, breastfeeding is the first, the first way that our, we feed a, a young developing child the nutrients for a healthy mouth and healthy teeth. And so, for instance, the vitamin D levels of the mother and the, the child are crucial to how their skeletal system and their, that immune system that protects them against tooth decay. And so I would always encourage a mother to uh, understand her own gut health and her own nutrient levels as a way to pass this on to the, their child. And so for a, a toddler who is starting to teeth and, and starting to chew things, Chewing is actually a nutrient that helps develop the jaws. So we should be encouraging our children after six months 
to start to use their jaw. It's a musculoskeletal joint. And so those exercising uh, via food really does help to send those physical messages to place bone and to grow strong bone where teeth are going to eventually be. And lastly is breathing. Breathing is very important for the oral environment and nasal breathing is very important. So a child should never be open mouth posture. And that's something that we really should be checking from a very early age where we can teach kids to breathe through their nose and that can actually help develop their palate via nasal breathing. And so that will decrease their risk of braces later in life. Dr. Lin, when I think of children, young kids, teenagers, and of course, older adults, I think of the kind of food that we're eating today. I mean, let's face it, the industrialized food system has uh, come up with a lot of fast food. I mean, you know, teenagers love pizza and there's all kinds of snack food. And I'm, I'm, we've heard a lot about the impact of such carbs and food on heart health, for example, and overweight and obesity and, and um, diabetes. But I'm wondering about how it affects our teeth. And we, you know, we were told as kids, you know, sugar's bad for your teeth. It'll cause cavities. But I'm guessing that a lot of our fast food today is just as bad. Yeah, absolutely right. And there's three your main culprits I, I think we've put into our modern diet, um, into our fast foods that really do cause the problems we see in the mouth um, and the rest of the body. And I think that's sugar. That's one that we've really, you know, we've known for a long time causes dental problems. But, you know, telling people to, to stop eating sugar is a difficult message uh, on its own. And I think the reason is because there's more to it. And so you mentioned refined carbohydrates. And so refined flour behaves very similarly to uh, sugars in the body. And so these kind of foods, you mentioned a pizza, so a white flour-based pizza will deliver a sugar-based effect to both the mouth and the gut. And so we need to be thinking in this way of our delivery of these refined carbohydrates. But lastly are the fats and this is one I feel that we don't have a conversation about is that we've replaced our whole nourishing animal fats and saturated fats with the refined vegetable oils. And in America especially, you guys put them in everything. And we're talking about you know the sunflower oils, the cottonseed oils, uh, canola oils. These are refined fats. And the classic one was the margarine that we replaced butter with. And we've kind of gone away from that again, hopefully. Well, Dr. Lin, what does the um, industrialized food system actually do? How does it affect our, our teeth and our gums? So we just talked about some of the fast foods that are harmful. We know that sugar is harmful. We know that it fuels bacteria that causes disease. But I feel that we've lost the foods that replenish um, and build protection against dental diseases and actually grow a child's face and uh, dental arch. So these are the foods rich in fat-soluble nutrients, vitamins A, D, and K2. We strip them out of our diet. We don't raise our animals on grass or we don't let them have sun. These are the things that really have taken out the quality in our foods. And this kind of speaks to something called the epigenetic 
messages that our food sends to us and throughout its life on earth, whether it was a plant or an animal, it sends those messages to us. So fast food really strips those messages and I think that's what causes ultimately the damage. Can you describe the basics of the dental diet, please? Yes. Yeah, so the, the first thing to think about is that oxygen is the first nutrient. So we, we should always be breathing through the nose, and that's with the tongue to the palate and lips closed. And so a child, if you teach them to breathe through the nose from an early age, often they'll develop straight, wide uh, jaws that will fit 32 human teeth. And so that's a factor that I try to teach my patients to think about every time they sit to a meal is breathing deeply and relaxing the digestive system is a part of nourishing yourself. The second is that the most critical nutrients are the fat-soluble vitamins. These are vitamins A, D, and K2. And they come from a set of animal foods uh, like uh, grass-raised butter, organ meats, uh, egg yolks, um, grass-raised dairy, so kefir, cow's milk, so forth, uh, has these nutrients and they need to come with the whole fats because the body absorbs these whole fats collectively in the digestive system then distributes them around the body as such. Secondly is to balance, sorry, thirdly is to balance the oral and gut microbiome. So that's with probiotic foods, fermented foods that reintroduce and balance the oral microbiome, protect you against tooth decay and gum disease, and then as a flow-on effect, gives you a, a healthy digestive system as a result. Lastly is to know where your food is sourced. So the, where your animal products are raised, where your vegetables are raised, these are sending epigenetic messages directly to your genes. So understanding this, um, really helps you to build a closer relationship with your teeth and your food as well. Dr. Lin, one of the biggest controversies in America when it comes to diet has to do with saturated fat. Uh, cardiologists and health professionals in general have been vilifying saturated fat for decades. And so when you talk about things like butter or whole fat milk or whole fat yogurt, People go crazy. I mean, they say, you know, that, that's going to cause a heart attack. That's going to clog your coronary arteries, and it's going to make you very, very sick. You, you need to have that low-fat, no-fat yogurt. You need to have skim milk. Uh, you need to avoid cream at all costs. And so this has become a very emotional issue here, and you're suggesting that whole-fat dairy actually has some nutrients that may be missing from the low-fat or no-fat varieties. Can you give us a little more insight? Because this really gets Americans all riled up. Yeah, this has been part of the dietary conversation, you know, across the Western world too, that, you, that uh, saturated fats and the diet-heart hypothesis is how we direct people to eat for a healthy body. Uh, when you look at the evidence, when you look at how all this happened, it really hasn't played out that low-fat diets make us healthier. And the reality of what happens when we eat low-fat is that we eat more sugar, we eat more refined foods. Low-fat dairy, for example, strips out the nutrients in that naturally come with whole milk, vitamins A, D, and K2, that build strong bones. And so I believe that we've actually, in a way, by stripping fat out of our diet, we've really 
taken these nutrients out of away from what we are traditionally designed to eat and our teeth have been the evidence of that now i've seen in the last few generations how a child's jaw and how kids today they're just not developing teeth and bones the way that i've seen previous generations do that and so i believe that the low-fat diet has attributed to this and we can directly you know via physiology and studies and there was a study in the lancet that showed that a huge study across many countries that showed that whole fat dairy, just two to three servings a day, was protective against cardiovascular disease. So I believe we need to rejig our dietary guidelines to include teeth because they provide a critical piece of this puzzle of the why low fat wasn't perhaps the best way to frame um, dietary guidelines. And that's something that I think that dental... Uh, nutrition can really add to this conversation and why we should never think of the body in disparate parts as as a heart attack or as bleeding gums or as a a metabolic problem like type 2 diabetes. It's all connected. You're listening to Dr. Stephen Lin. He's author of The Dental Diet, The Surprising Link Between Your Teeth, Real Food, and Life-Changing Natural Health. So Terry, let's sum up some of the do's and don'ts of the dental diet. Number one, refined carbs are turned into sugar. Well, that's a don't, both sugar and refined carbs. And refined vegetable oils are not helpful. So what should we skip? Let's stay away from corn oil, canola oil, sunflower oil, and other refined oils. Foods that replenish the microbiota. What should they be? Well, that's a do. Things like sauerkraut and kimchi. Foods that are rich in vitamin K2. That's another do, and we're looking for animal fats from grass-fed animals. That would be things like whole milk. What about foods with fat-soluble vitamins, D, A, and, of course, back to K2? Well, we're going to source them from whole foods, and we also want to eat foods that require chewing. After the break, we'll discuss Dr. Weston A. Price and what he learned a century ago. Dr. Price identified a mysterious activator X crucial to dental health. What foods provide this vitamin? We'll also find out how to nurture a healthy microbiome in your mouth. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy podcast is supported in part by Cocovia Memory Plus. Cocovia cocoflavanols support both cardiovascular health and cognitive function by promoting healthy blood flow, transporting oxygen and nutrients to vital organs and muscles, including your heart and brain. Cocovia Memory Plus has 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, the plant-based nutrients from fresh cocoa that have been proven to help boost memory. Cocovia Memory Plus is backed by four clinical trials that demonstrate improvement in three different aspects of memory, long-term memory, spatial memory, and word recall. The studies show improved brain function in just eight weeks. You can try the benefits of Cocovia Memory Plus with a 25% discount off your first month. Use the code PEOPLES25. To get the full benefits, take it daily for eight weeks. 
Cocovia is offering People's Pharmacy podcast listeners a 10% discount on subscriptions. That code is PEOPLES10. Learn more at cocovia.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia Memory Plus, a supplement with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, the plant-based nutrients from fresh cocoa that help support memory. More information at cocovia.com. Also by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Now with an annual health club plan. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com slash health dash club. And by Kaya Biotics. These hypoallergenic probiotic products are made in Germany from certified organic ingredients. Online at K-A-Y-A Biotics dot com. Today we're exploring how to promote dental health with our diet. Dentists have been paying attention to the microbiome in the mouth for a long time, but there has not been much connection in studying how the oral microbiome is related to the gut microbiome. Surprise, it is. And how diet affects both of these important collections of microbes. We are talking today with Dr. Stephen Lin. He is a board-accredited dentist, TEDx speaker, and author of The Dental Diet, The Surprising Link Between Your Teeth, Real Food, and Life-Changing Natural Health. Dr. Lin, when we talk about diet and teeth and the dental diet, as your book is titled, what comes to mind is a dentist who was active doing a type of research around the world in the early 20th century, Dr. Weston Price. You have written about him as well. Can you tell us a bit about him and what you learned from him? Yeah, I discovered Weston A. Price by accident, and I'd actually taken some time away from dentistry because I felt somewhat disillusioned with my career. I didn't know if I could fix teeth all day, and I felt there was a missing piece of the puzzle. And I was actually in a traveler's hostel in Turkey, Istanbul, taking some time away from my work where I came across a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And it was written by Price, who went around the world in the 30s, the 20s and 30s, and studied cultures, 14 cultures all across the world. And what he did was quite remarkable. He took photographs. There's 14,000 black and white photographs in his book, and he documented when the modern diet intercepts traditional foods in, in all of these cultures. And it really spoke to me in a way that I probably didn't realize at the time. It took probably years for me to go back to. But what Price, Price's work opened up for me was that there was far more to the dental health story than I was told at dental school. And that was really my opening point into thinking about nutrition as a you know, as, as a basis for my dental practice and that how we should be eating for to prevent orthodontic braces in our kids. These were things that Price alluded to. He published and the work was lost. Um, and it took you know, 60 years before uh, Sally Fallon and the Western A. Price Foundation revived his work. And there have been some confusions when I was going through what Price was saying 
and comparing to the literature, you know, we really misunderstood uh, the message that he was talking about. And there was a mysterious um, nutrient that he said uh, was critical for healthy teeth and healthy bones. He called it Activator X and he never found out what it was. And it wasn't until just 10 years ago that we realized what that nutrient was. And I think it's a huge missing piece of the puzzle that vitamin K2 works alongside uh, vitamin D to distribute calcium in the body and give us strong teeth and bones at the same time. So Activator X is vitamin K2? Yes. So in Price's book, he writes of three nutrients that every culture made sure that they ate. And the reason why they ate it is because they had kids with round heads. It was that simple. <laughs> um, but what they were alluding to was that these kids had strong craniofacial structure and bones. And what K2 does is it activates proteins that carries calcium into teeth and bones and out of soft tissues. Now, we were talking about heart disease before. One of the most predictive, the biggest predictors of cardiovascular disease has been the coronary calcium score. And so when your body doesn't manage calcium properly, you get calcium buildups inside your soft tissues. And vitamin K2 is the way to prevent this. It carries those minerals out of your soft um, vessels into your hard tissues, your bones and teeth, where you want them to be. And it was a critical piece that was lost for 70 years. And I believe this is, we need to go back to Price's work as you know, a, an anthropological masterpiece that shows how important diet is for teeth and how our teeth really model how we should eat for whole body health. Dr. Lin, I think a lot of people are familiar with vitamin K, which is usually just called the vitamin K, but what it really means is vitamin K1. And we know that the dietary sources are green leafy vegetables of various sorts, your spinach and kale and broccoli, and they're all good for you. But what are the dietary sources of vitamin K2? Yes, vitamin K2 is part of a family that is very related to vitamin K1. But we often are told that they are the same, and they are, they are not. They do very different things. Vitamin K2 comes from foods uh, such as organ meats, um, grass-raised butter, uh, dairy, other dairy such as cow's milk, um, whole-fat yogurt. The important thing with dairy is that it needs to be grass-raised because what Price found is he watched people in Switzerland where they would take the cow's up to the fast-growing spring grass. And he measured the amount of K2 or activated X, as he called it in his book, as being some of the richest that he's found in butter around the world. That's because the cows were converting the K1 to K2. And so that's what uh, our animal products do for us is that they convert this K1 to K2 because our bodies don't do it very efficiently. So when you eat green vegetables, you'll only convert a very small amount in the liver to vitamin K2. That's why we need dietary sources of these fat-soluble nutrients, vitamin A and vitamin D, the same from these uh, animal sources that, that have been raised naturally in organic situations. Now, I have to tell you, Dr. Lin, Americans love pills. And so we like to take our vitamins and our minerals in pill form. Oh, we'll take a multivitamin. Oh, we'll take a little extra vitamin D because, goodness gracious, the sun is bad and will cause skin cancer. And, of course, you have a problem with skin cancer in Australia as well. 
So for the most part, people think, well, I'll just take, I'll just take a pill and that'll solve the problem. Uh, you're talking about vitamin K2. I'll just take some vitamin K2. I'll go down to the health food store and find a pill. What's your perspective on nutrients like the ones you've been talking about in pills versus food? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point because really what Price talked about was that you know there was so much knowledge in how we raise food and how how that there is a close relationship between uh, your what goes on your plate and what goes into your body. And so I I really do believe that we need to get back to this relationship um, because we're missing out on things that we we just don't know are there. And what the physiology and what the science has showed us in the last. 10 to 20 years is that we know very little about what we're doing to ourselves and that we really need to trust nature in a way that mother nature is far more wise than we could ever be in a scientific lab and that food raised in a natural environment you know from natural soil you know without the the additives of uh, chemicals or um, other things now vitamins is the same perspective in pill form, we can really only give ourselves, uh, you know, a limited form of this. However, for people that are deficient, I've found that some people do need uh, supplementation of some of these nutrients because they're slow for the body to accumulate. So vitamin D supplementation, vitamin K2 supplementation, in some situations where we have dental disease or we have deficiency or even people that live in cold climates. So if you live above a certain 37 degrees, I think, horizontal latitude, then you don't get the sunlight that converts to vitamin D. So there are situations where I think supplementation is helpful. We can use this science, but food is ultimately the way for us to guide better health. Now, when we talk about the traditional relationships and the traditional knowledge, the keepers of that traditional knowledge are usually the grandmothers and the grandfathers. Can you tell us about learning anything from your grandmother? Absolutely. So I have Chinese heritage. So my father's side immigrated to Australia uh, from China, the Cantonese speaking, and my grandparents um, made a way. My grandmother actually worked four jobs to support her family, but one of those jobs ended up being a Chinese food shop. And uh, early on uh, in my childhood, I remember going um, through her kitchen. She would cook at home and uh, and also in the restaurant, but she, there would be these slow cooking soups. And I remember the smell of these of these soups and just remember thinking as this bowl was sitting in front of me that it was like a nourishment, you know, that it was like a grandmother giving you a big hug. And my grandmother is still alive today. She's the last of my grandparents parents still alive and she's seen great health throughout her life because of I believe this relationship that she found through food and she tried to pass on to us and I've really found that 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 understanding that has been you know a, a critical connector in where we need to find our relationship back to these um, nutritive principles because we've lost them and you know I think there's a lot of knowledge in our previous generations that we should really give some respect and credence uh, because there is a lot there and it's valuable. Well, 
moving on from the wisdom of your grandmother to the dental diet, can you tell us a little bit of the staples of the diet? So if we were to come home with you and spend a week watching what you and your family are eating, what would be the foods that would be especially good for our teeth in the dental diet? Sure, yeah. That, that's, that's, you know, let's start with breakfast, right? So one thing with breakfast is that the first thing with my patients is we really need to take out the cereals, get rid of this, any of the cereal boxes, and we need to start having a nourishing breakfast. And so the best way to base this I've found is with good old-fashioned omelette or frittata in the morning and so cooked in saturated fats, so either a coconut oil or a, um, you know, a lard-based pan. We'll throw some eggs in there. We'll throw some onions, some prebiotics, some garlic, uh, some greens, a little bit of spinach around to, you know, to give it some color. And then we'll, you know, we'll keep it simple and we'll put some butter on top and we'll put it on, toss it up as some scrambled eggs or however you, you like your eggs. And then you know, maybe a little bit of spice uh, to add some um some flavor at the end and keeping it simple with those those kinds of ingredients really i've found to be a modern way to implement traditional style eating and so for lunch you know something like a a salad based food with a either a, a fish or a avocado based salad with some fermented food like a sauerkraut on the side as a probiotic and and there's also k2 in sauerkraut by the way Alongside, for instance, a pate or a cold meat platter or some cheeses, I find is good in the middle of the day. And then at night, we're going to we're going to cook some something like a a grass raised cow or lamb liver fry up. And so I love my fryers; they're easy. You know what's going in. You can control the taste. You know, we base it in a in a in a lard. We cook it so quickly, so it's nice and soft. Putting some turmeric and some spices in with the garlic and onions and some carrots and some some greens on the side, some steamed greens. And, you know, it's really quite simple. I, I taught myself, you know, this more traditional way of eating. You know, it was a process for myself. I looked at my diet and I found that I was eating, you know, these modern foods that were that they weren't giving me the nutrients that my body needs. And so it's something everyone can do. And building this relationship has been, you know, both great for my family I have an eight-week-year-old son who has a very round head, <laughs> and we watch it every day. And you know, I, I think that everyone should be getting this relationship back to their food. So in summing up, Dr. Lin, what would you like our listeners to take away from your book, The Dental Diet? And how would you like them to nurture their microbiome in the mouth? That food, you do have the ability to prevent dental diseases. And it includes braces in kids. And so there is hope there. Never feel that your dental disease is hopeless and that you can you can find this relationship back via food to heal your body. And there are key markers in the mouth. If you do have gum disease, if you do have tooth decay, take it as a message from the body that, right, we need to fix this. We need to build up these core nutrients that create strong teeth and bones and immune systems and gut microbiomes and um, the connection to our brain and that really our mouth is the best way to model how all of these systems work together and that we can build this relationship with 
foods. And so anyone with gut issues, you know, begin in the mouth, always heal the mouth alongside the digestive system. And, you know, you really have the power. The mouth is a very accessible thing. So instead of seeing it as something that we avoid, I think we really need to be thinking about it more at the forefront of our health rather than as a side note or as a something that we really kind of avoid. Dr. Stephen Lynn, thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Dr. Stephen Lynn. He's author of The Dental Diet, The Surprising Link Between Your Teeth, Real Food, and Life-Changing Natural Health. Dr. Lynn's book contains recipes and meal plans to prevent the oral health problems he described. The recipes in Dr. Lynn's book sound really yummy. For example, he tells how to make Asian-style seafood soup with zucchini and carrot noodles, or lemongrass and ginger baked fish with broth and cucumber rice. How about paprika and garlic spiced chicken wings with zucchini fries, or chili butter prawn salad? Mushroom masala bake sounds really good to me. Terry, Dr. Lynn emphasized the importance of vitamin K2, but it isn't very familiar to a lot of us. Where would we find it in foods? Well, just as we use the orange, yellow, and red pigments from vegetables to make vitamin A, animals use the vitamin K1 in grass and other leafy foods to make vitamin K2. This is a fat-soluble vitamin, so fats from grass-fed animals, like full-fat milk, cheese, butter, or ghee, are all good sources of vitamin K2. Another source you might not expect are fermented foods. Bacteria make a form of vitamin K2 that's called MK7. So yogurt, aged cheese, sauerkraut, and natto, which is a fermented soybean product, are also good sources. Remember, if you've been delaying your dental visit, check with the office to learn what infection control procedures they have in place. Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wodarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews, B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. The People's Pharmacy is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Verizona, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. And by Cocovia, offering plant-based nutrients in the form of cocoflavanols for brain and heart health. Online at Cocovia.com. To buy a CD of today's show or any other People's Pharmacy episode, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show, 1,242. Online at peoplespharmacy.com. When you visit the website, you can share your thoughts about today's show, or you can subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post it on our website every Monday morning. At our website, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about COVID-19 and other important health stories. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. 
It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.